0: I do hope that you have your Bibles open this morning with me to Psalm 127 as we continue our sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms, Songs for the Journey. Uh, This week's Psalm, Psalm 127, is a Psalm that walks us through some of the most ordinary aspects of the journey and gives us a, a corrective and an encouragement. So I hope that you'll pay attention to it closely with me. Uh, We have, uh, we've already read Psalm 127, and we are also going to actually consider Psalm 128 this morning. Uh, Psalm 128 is, is something like a, a blessed fulfillment of Psalm 127. Psalm 127 seven declares a number of realities and promises, and Psalm 128 walks through what it might look like for that to be so among the people of God. So we'll make reference to both of them, interestingly, as you sort of follow the main ideas of each one of the sections in Psalm 127 and 128. They line up really well. And so that's how we'll frame our time this morning. Uh, this morning's Psalms is about one of the most pract- some of the most practical areas of life. Things like shelter, things like safety, and things like family. And I know that concern over these things has occupied many of your minds in these nearly overwhelming recent months, right? So many questions. I know that even this morning, the question of of whether or not to gather in this space this morning, and and how many should wear masks, and when we should wear them, and so on, is a a family, a household, and a safety question, right? I know of many people who are not with us because they not only love the gathering of the saints, but they also love their neighbor, and uh, they know that they will have many people in their home this week, perhaps even those who are vulnerable. These are very practical questions. What is our business in this life, and what is the nature of what it looks like to trust in the Lord in the middle of shelter, safety, and family sorts of questions? So it would be very appropriate that before we continue in Psalm 127 that we pray. Let us seek the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you this morning, you are the Lord God, and and we have that great gift to know it. You've made Yourself known to us. You've, you've given us Your Word. You've given us Your Spirit by which we might understand and believe. I pray that You would do that miraculous work this morning in the midst of Your people. And that that Word would go out through the live stream. That Word would go out through video later in the week. That, that Your Word would be made effective in our hearts today. But when we see it, we would say, "This is the blessed work of the Lord. The Lord alone has done this in your people. Thank you, Lord. We, press, we trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning we're going to work through the passage, really it has two main sections. We're going to break each section up into two parts. So we're going to begin by looking at Psalm 127 verse one, "Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The main idea of that verse is relatively simple. It is that the Lord is the actor in our lives. He is the one who is behind the verb. At the end of the day, the Lord is the builder. The Lord is the watchman who is doing the work of building, who is doing the work of watching. The Lord is not a passive observer seeing how we can behave under pressure so that he can play his big active role, which is that of cosmic judge. Let's be honest. That's how many of us tend to behave. We tend to think that it's our business to take the noun, the subject position, at the beginning of the sentence, to do the great verb and prove to the great watcher in the sky that we can do what he wants us to. But that's not the way that this psalm puts it. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. He is not merely a cosmic judge. He is active and present. I think a faulty image that we have in our mind is that of God as cosmic karma accumulator, all right? His business is to pay attention to our good deeds and bad deeds, and if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then our things that we try to do will work out well for us. That just doesn't have anything to do with the order of any of the scriptures, but be honest. As silly, perhaps, as what I just described may sound, it's not very incongruent with the way that we wind up living our lives. The Lord is not far off The Lord is not passive. The Lord works in the most routine and central aspects of our lives. Now, I need to pause before we go to Psalm 128 to look at the way that it puts it and just say, I know you know that. I know many in this room, you know that. But you need to hear that today. You need to hear, be reminded, and believe that the Lord is active in the remarkably common activity of building the house, watching the city. Psalm 128, verse 1, puts it this way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The one who fears the Lord is the one who knows that the Lord is active and that he has a way at all. We may walk, we may work, we may labor, but it's, in His ways that we are blessed. We can think of God as a a sort of cosmic constructor worker who lays out ways, and then, once the pavement is down, He leaves. And He's long gone, while our job is to to walk on dried pavement. This isn't so. The Lord is right in our midst. He is a fellow walker. In fact, He is the one who, in Christ, has walked before us. He walked the way, and then, before he leaves his disciples to send his spirit, he says, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Where is Jesus? Well, he's walking in the ways that the Lord has laid out for his church. The Lord is active right in our midst. He is building, and he is preserving as we travel on this pilgrim way. Uh, There was an article written by Stephen Whitmer on desiringgod.org, and it offers that really there are three ways to understand this psalm, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, three ways, God does nothing, we do everything. That's the way that we tend to understand life, that God laid out a way, and he says, go get them, I'll keep track. Cosmic note taker, cosmic karma accumulator. God does nothing, we do everything. Secondly, God does everything, we do nothing. Now that sounds quite noble. God, God's everything. He does everything. Without Jesus, I mean, it's, Jesus is everything. So I'm just going to wait on him. And then the person just sits there. And you're watching, you're like, man, it feels like the Bible is filled with wisdom that you're supposed to be walking in, and you're just sitting there waiting on Him. All right? God does everything we do, nothing. But look at the verse, the way it lays out. Unless the Lord builds the house, is God doing something? Yeah. Watch the next part. Those who build it labor in vain. Is there somebody doing something there? Yeah, it's a builder. And this is a warning. If that builder is busy building and the Lord's not doing something, nothing happens. But it doesn't say, builder, therefore, stop building. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't even imply that. It is a conditional clause of warning. And so, Stephen Whitmer offers, it's God does everything. It's still important. God, unless God does it, nothing. Vanity. All right? So God does everything. We do something. What we do is we walk in the fear of the Lord, as Psalm 128 puts it. We walk in the fear of the Lord. That's our business, to walk according to the Lord, according to the wisdom that he's given for us to walk. And as we walk in fear of him, he builds the house, he guards the city, and we'll see he does even more In the psalm, it's true that the builder and the watcher are essential workers, all right? They're doing something, and the something is important. Without their labor, there would be no work getting done. They are essential workers, but the Lord is the effective worker. You see, there's a difference. Without the builders building the city, a not positive city gets built. They are essential, but they're not effective they can't do what they're doing. We're going to come back to that. Yes, they're essential labors, but in the end, it's the Lord who's the effective builder, the effective water watcher. It is the Lord who works. Friends, go over that. Put that at the end of more of our sentences, at the beginning of more of our thoughts. It is the Lord who works. It is the Lord who prospers. Our work. It's not just that the Lord is the one who multiplies our work. It's not that God comes to us and says, what kind of talents do you have and how can I mul- multiply them? No. It, God is not a cosmic pulley system. You know how pulley systems work. Like you can't lift the thing, but if you put it through this whole pulley system, then, then you can lift it because it multiplies our labor. God is not a cosmic system pulley system. It's God who makes our zero effective work, our essential work, but zero effective work and makes it work at all. Okay, God is the worker. He is the one who makes the work effective. One of my favorite images in the Bible is the image of a farmer. A farmer does stuff, right? I mean, I don't know if you've known farmers, or perhaps you've been a farmer. We spent eight years in a a very agricultural community in Wisconsin. I know farmers, and let me tell you, farmers do stuff. Farmers do more stuff than just about any of us here, and they do it all day, and they do it without vacations. They do stuff, but you know what? There's one thing that a farmer cannot do is make seeds become plants. They just can't do it. And it's like their whole gig, right? It's like the whole thing that a farmer's doing, which is make seeds become plants, become fruitful, and then we can eat it and they can eat it. And they can't do it. And yet they're busy all day. What in the world is going on? The farmer can put seed in the ground, but it requires a miracle, the miracle of life for the seed to grow. Another way to put it, and this is one of my favorite phrases, is that faithfulness and fruitfulness are not identical. Neither are they connected via, again, a, fruit, a, a pulley system. If we're a little bit faithful, God's super, super faithful. If we're a lot of bit faithful, God's super, 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 super faithful. It's not a cosmic pulley system between faithfulness and fruitfulness. We are faithful. And in our faithfulness, that is our waiting upon the Lord. That is our walking in fear of the Lord. And if there's fruitfulness... The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Laborers have been given the responsibility of faithfulness. That is the responsibility of a laborer, a servant, a child in the household of God. They have been given the task by the Lord, and we must execute it faithfully. But the Lord is the one who produces any fruit at all from our labor. That's the order. That is the cosmic system. Apart from the Lord who works, our labor is in vain. Vain, like zero. Zero. Unless the Lord works, the Lord builds, the Lord watches, the Lord builds a house, and the Lord keeps the houses together. Now, there's an interesting little image in that, just as a side note. I mean, actually, it's really it's key, key to what the image is itself. That if you build a house, what do you get? A house. And if you build a bunch of houses, what do you get? A city. What is the Lord doing? He's building the city. And he's building it one house. at a time. And he's keeping the city where his people dwell. Friends, that's beautiful. That's good news for a people who are laboring in faithfulness and longing. Lord, will you work? Labor in vain. It's a key phrase in our passage. It shows up a few different ways in our passage. I think that if you look at last week's text, Psalm 126, I think the phrase that Psalm 126 used that is the same idea is those who sow in tears. It's taking the seed out to that parched land again. And you're sowing in tears because you know you can sow and sow and sow. Unless there is a miracle. Tears. Nothing's going to happen. It's to sow without hope in self. It's to sow without hope in sowing. It's to sow in tears, to know that our labor is vanity unless the Lord builds the house. I remember standing in the back of the celebration service just months after we initially planted. I I told God, standing there, John Menton, he's finishing up the third song and he's going to lead the people in the prayer of confession. And I'm in the back of of the Holiday Inn room with a Dozen or so people in the room. And I'm making a confession to God myself. I had a bit of a crisis of preaching faith. I told God, I do not want to do this. No, let me be clear, God. I remember clear as day. I said, God, not only do I not want to do this, I can't do this. And you know I can't. You know I can't. Because you told me to make disciples. Disciples. You know I can't do that. I can preach my heart out. My sermon notes are ready. I practice. I always preach in the morning before I come in. I did that that morning. I knew the sermon was ready, but I know it doesn't do anything. It didn't mean that I don't have the energy. It doesn't mean that I just don't got it in me today. It means that I've never had making a disciple in me. Ever. Lord, I can study, prepare sermons, preach, do it all faithfully, but you know that no human can change the heart. And God, I want what you want today. You're the only one who can actually do the work that you've given me to do today. And friends, that's true of everything. Even the simple things like building a house, keeping watch over a city. And you know what I did? I got up and preached. God, and I've done it ever since. God, I can't do it. You know I can't. You know I can't. You're going to have to build the house. If there's any house built at all, you're the only ones who can make disciples. Friends, that sort of reality, uh, of verse one of Psalm 127, carries us into. Verse 2, and guards us against something that is given to us in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The image is like this. The builder builds, and it's not going well. The preacher preaches, and it's not going well, so he stays up later and gets up earlier. and It's still not going well. And he exhausts himself, and it's still not going well. That is anxious toil. Another way to put it, because I think this is a warning uh, passage for us, whereas, like I said, 128 is a great celebration of the the blessing of walking in this way. Psalm 127, verse 2, the main idea is to labor without limits assumes that we are in control of fruitfulness. Labor without limits assumes that we are in control. We are the great factor in fruitfulness, not simply given the business of walking in the fear of the Lord or faithfulness. God is so kind. He knows who we are, and he knows how the universe works. It's funny that he would know that, being creator and all. All right, He knows who we are, he made us. He knows how the universe works and what our role is in the universe, He made the whole thing, and when he made the whole thing, he put limits on our labor even before the fall. We did not labor without limits even before the fall. Right at creation, there was a sun and a moon, and they were two natural, God-ordained limits to our labor. The sun marks the time of each day in which we toil, and this is a time... For the business of faithfulness. And the moon marks the time that we are to rest, and yet it provides light for our safety and security, doesn't it? The Lord is abundantly kind. He's seen to everything, and He's created us as limited, non sufficient, we could say, not sufficient in ourselves, but limited creatures. God gave us a week, six days of labor. And one day of rest. That was his idea. And he knew what he was doing when he did it. He gives us markers and limits for our labor. Please note that God takes the seventh day marker. And then he makes it a religious symbol. It is a marker regarding a very normal, a very daily, a very practical labor and rest. And he takes it and he makes it a religious marker and symbol It is a matter of faith that the Lord limits our labor. Do we trust that it's the Lord who works? Or do we believe that we are the great worker? The only alternative is anxious and idolatrous labor. And so he takes this very normal, weekly rhythm and places it right in the commandment. He gives us something beautiful to mark our faith. Psalm 128 is something like Psalm 127 in light of a people who actually walk in faith-filled dependence. Look at verse two of Psalm 128. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You can see how Psalm 128 is a people who have learned the limits of their labor and who experience the joy of reaping what God has made fruitful. We get the joy of reaping God's harvest. It's a blessing. It is a blessing not to labor in vain. And friends, the, the avenue to which we will find ourselves in a place where our labor might not be in vain is by acknowledging in fear of the Lord that our work is limited that we are limited not sufficient in ourselves people you know that the Lord himself did this at creation he worked each day and then because his own work is effective like it worked and he spoke a word and it worked because he is both faithful and effective he is both faithful And his word is fruitful. And when he worked, what did he do? He steps back and he says, ah, that's good. He sees each day and its limits. He saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. Another day. The Lord himself gives us a rhythm to walk in. How beautiful it is to step back. At the end of a day of labor and see that the Lord has made it effective. Thank you, Jesus, for making today's work effective. It's good. It's good. And we worship Him. Do you see how worship is able to rise up in a people who learn that sort of limited labor? There's a movement in this passage in Psalm 127 from anxiety to dependence. The the lost spiritual discipline of sleep. Look at it again with me. Verse two, it's in vain that they rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Again, back to the farmer. The farmer can put seed in the ground. But it's while the farmer sleeps that God causes the soil to produce fruit. And one morning, he walks out out of his house, at the right time of day, after a good breakfast, and he sees miracle. And he praises the God who has let him see the toil of his hands and given it a great fruitfulness. I would offer this to you. Uh, I know that I have found it as a gift when it was originally brought to me. Friends, sleep is a spiritual discipline. Sleep. Not trying to figure out how to wake up earlier and earlier. Perhaps you need to get up with your alarm clock. That can be a spiritual discipline, too, to trust that the Lord has marked out a time to labor. But perhaps the other thing that you need to do is set an alarm for the spiritual discipline of sleep. Lord, you've marked out a time for me to work, and now you've marked out a time for me to close my eyes. Why do we pray before we go to sleep? Not just to thank him for the data that is behind, but trust him for this season in which we rest in his laborer, that part of our sleep routine can become the confession, Lord God, you are the one who works. I'm going to bed. You told me to. I'm going to bed. Sleep is a daily confession. I am not God. Sleep is a daily confession. Lord, you are creator, I am created. We are embodied creatures, and as creatures with bodies, we have limits. To walk in these bodies is to walk in faith. There's a a book called Zeal Without Burnout by Christopher Ash, And in it, he reminds us that we are creatures of dust. That the Lord alone is eternal. And he goes to those uncommunicable attributes of God. The the attributes that are not shared between God and his creation. Attributes like omnipotent. God is all-powerful. His creation is not. Omniscient. God knows everything. We do not. God is omnipresent. Friend, which we cannot be. Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, but it didn't embody us, did it? Livestream, I'm thankful for it, but it doesn't make us gather. We are an embodied creature. And for that reason, even in that sort of difficult to be embodied season of separation, we called out to the Lord Will you let us gather again? Will you remove and push aside some of the, the, the limits so we can be an embodied people? Together, when we attempt to take on these omni or unlimited attributes, the unshared attributes of God, that our toil becomes genuine idolatrous vanity. When we don't sleep, to not sleep is idolatry. It's to say, I have an attribute that God alone has. God labors and is effective and i do not we must confess with our sleep what is anxiety in this case then the internal feeling of a lack of integrity of trying to be a god that we are not it is the feeling any creature gets when it pretends to be god and so what is the cure to anxiety but confession a right fear of the lord dependence, a laying down. I I just think that confession and repentance is so essential to so much of what is wrong with us today. The psalm launches into its second sort of section. I would invite you to go over there with me in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It took me some time to understand what in the world that part of the psalm has to do with the first half. How is it connected to this first section of building a house and building a city? Well, what's true is that children are also a labor. (laughs) Any parent or anyone who is involved in the life of a child will know that children are a labor, like building a house and guarding a city. And this passage reminds us that they too are a blessing from the Lord. Again, I think of the farmer waking early in the morning, looking at what seems like an endless field, thinking this isn't blessing, this is curse to be a farmer. As a parent, I know what it is to wake up early in the morning. I'm not joking. I know what it is to wake up in the morning and saying, this is not a blessing, this is a curse. And to go to the psalm and say, Lord, I have to agree with you again. These are a heritage, these children. There are days that we wake and we say, I cannot do this today. I'm not just speaking to parents, but anyone who invests in the life of a child. I cannot do this today, but we believe that these children are a heritage and a blessing. Friends, it's when we look at the labor that God has placed before us and think, I cannot do it, that we are in the most right place. We are so close to what it is to walk as a people of righteousness in fear of the Lord when we wake early in the morning and say, I cannot do this. Can we confess unless the Lord builds the house? Those who labor, labor like anxious toil, fretting parents and others who labor in the lives of children. This is most true when it comes to the labor of children. A a child is that field in which the farmer invests, but if the Lord doesn't build the house, those who build it labor in vain. These verses are an answer to the question, if children are so much work, why would you even want that? This verse is the answer to that question, because you can't do it, parent, Those who invest in the lives of children, do you know, I'm looking in this room, and I'm saying, I I know they're here. I I, I know I saw, oh, I know where they are. They're right down the hall, investing in the lives of children. Impossible. Exhausting. I also know that most of the people who are down the hall, investing in the lives of children, don't even have any children down there. But they do. Because they believe that this is true. They believe that this is a heritage, these children. And they they know they can't do it. They know they can't do it. But they trust that what the Lord has said is true. When Sandy and I moved to Chicago for seminary, we literally had no money. I was working $7 an hour as a supervisor at Borders Books and Music and trying to go to seminary. And here's what you don't know. One month before making that move to Chicago from Upland, Indiana, friends, you don't save up in Upland, Indiana to move to Chicago, all right, when we showed up there, we brought with us a one-month-old, our first one-month-old. That's dumb, okay? I'm there, I'm not, I am, I don't know. (laughs) It's true. That's dumb. What are we trying to do? Rob ourselves of all joy in life? And I remember thinking, is this wise at all? Should we have done this some other way? I want to tell you right now, during that year, we found out that something is true, that the Lord does not lie. In that year, I've, I've called that year, I'd like to name the years that we lived through, the year of no flowers. I didn't buy Sandy anything that year, all year long. And if I had, she would have been ticked, okay? Because <laughs> she's like, Where, what bought that flower Is there any joy in that year? Our joy in that year had one location. His name was Elijah, and he was a little boy, and he laughed. Where parents don't laugh in a year like that. It was exhausting. We had a little bundle of joy in our house, and it was the one thing that brought laughter into our home. We didn't know it at the beginning. We thought we were fools, because we were, and God is wise. And He gave us joy that year. Psalm 128, verse 3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the, ch- the table. Friends, we need to hear Charles Spurgeon on this. He says, He gives children not as a penalty, not as a burden, but as a favor. There are days, like you know, most of them, that we need to hear, remember, and believe. This is one of the greatest idolatrous tragedies of our present age. There was an article that I ran across on Monday early this week, and uh, I didn't know how valuable it would prove in my own processing of this passage. It's an article, perhaps you saw it, by Sarah Zhang, written in The Atlantic, called The Last Children of Down Syndrome. In 2019, only 18 kids in Denmark, were born with Down syndrome in the whole country. 95% of children shown to bear the genetic markers of Down syndrome during prenatal testing were aborted. Brothers and sisters, there's no less children in the womb with Down syndrome. (laughs) Down syndrome has not been cured if it needed to be. We have a culture that rejects God's good gift and is doing just about everything that it can to make sure we never meet his gift. And before you think that's Denmark, I mean, it is Denmark. It's worth noting that the percentage who were terminated in the U.S. is lower, between 65 and 75%. It is difficult to calculate because the way the stats are gathered. But friends, how is that good news? It certainly isn't any evidence that in the United States we believe any more that children are a heritage from the Lord. You'll notice it doesn't give a great deal of qualifications. It offers, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And we try to take it back to the sender. In my reading, I found that though it reveals the tragedy of abortion, particularly the way that it is is not becoming, has already become so violently selective Many in the Down syndrome community are concerned about sharing that high abortion rate. They don't necessarily like the publishing of that statistic. Now, obviously, they don't like the statistic. But why wouldn't you want people to know of that tragedy? Because it comes with the assumption that there is something really bad about Downs, that we wouldn't want this. And so, to be clear, there are complications, especially a variety of of mild and serious heart Issues, but I found it astounding that the most prevalent health complications are ear infections, eyesight correction, and sleep apnea. Basically, you described me when I turned forty. This needs corrected. What we need, friends, is we need to believe. I said, so much that is wrong with us needs to begin with a confession of a lie that we have believed and walked in to great tragedy. Sandy recently read the book, Number of the Stars, by Lewis Lowry. And she said, when I shared this article with her, I think that's the same number of Jews saved in Denmark. There is a remarkable story. of of the heroism of remarkably normal people who don't even like to take credit in Denmark in the 1940s that, according to History.com, 90% of Danish Jews were rescued from certain death by their fellow Danish citizens. What in the world went wrong? I have to believe there is something that we have failed to remember and believe. I would offer it this way. I think that our business with Psalm 127, and one of the reasons why it can be put as a song, is we ought to agree with the Lord in such a way that we sing it. I do think, application point, for those of you who are taking notes, application point this morning, agree with the Lord on something that clearly the culture around us does not believe. And perhaps we don't believe we ought to agree with the Lord. I would like to speak to just a couple groups of people very quickly. Parents, you know the work day in and day out. You are the primary audience of this psalm being called forth to agree with it. We need to be reminded that it is the Lord who works. Children, youth. You thought you were going to get away with this one. I'm going to talk to you. You are that blessing. You are that blessing. Walk as such. Take on the role of what God has given you to be. Be a heritage. This is God's work. You can't perform that. But you can walk in faithfulness to what God has done. Be a heritage. Be a blessing in your households. Secondly, for children and youth, guard your hearts against the influence of both the culture and your own self-centered heart. I'll say it again. Children, guard your hearts. Our culture does not agree with the Lord in this. Young adults, I would call you. Some, it gets harder and harder with each group to address. Young adults, I would encourage you, aspire. If you agree with the Lord that something is good, aspire to the good gift. And then ask the Lord. We don't know what the Lord will do. He's the builder. He's the builder. He's the watcher. He's the gift. We don't know what he will do, but we can aspire for the gift. And you can join the Lord in agreement and prayer even as you young adults seek the Lord for wisdom as it regards this good gift. Can we agree whether it's a gift that is given to you? It's good. I agree, Lord, children are a heritage, whether they are my gift or not. Grandparents, don't use your stories to scare the next generation. All right? They're scared enough. Don't lie to them, but tell them the truth. Agree with the Lord. So too, your stories ought to agree with the Lord. Singles, another childless, older adults. You can agree with the Lord, even if you have not personally received this blessing. You are those who have sought the Lord, perhaps, for the blessing and for wisdom for how to walk in light of what He has said. You agreed with the Lord, and He's worked in your life in such a way that is not the typical way, that is outside of the norm, and you too agree with the Lord even as He has blessed you with another path to walk, a path also walked by many faithful who have gone before you. You need to hear those older saints as well. Bear witness to that path Older saints without children. And friends, let us remember the Lord himself walked that path. As you've seen how the Lord celebrated marriage, you can celebrate marriage. As you saw that the Lord celebrated children, you too can celebrate children. Let me suggest, especially having the blessing of saying that Jesus said, let the children come to me. That that is a way that you can follow the Lord that I can't. I can ask my children to come to me and sometimes they do. But you can offer something there that is a following after the Lord, you alone can come alongside and make disciples of children around you in a way that parents simply cannot. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you believe me yet. But tell, uh, tr- trust me, parents in this room are really hoping, praying that you do. You alone can come alongside and make disciples of children in ways that parents simply Cannot. I would ask the older and those who are without children in the church to pray, let the children come to me. You are a particular testimony that children are not only the heritage of parents, they are the heritage of and the arrows of the church. We need to look at the last section of the passage very quickly. We've already kind of hinted at it. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy in the gate. Verse one twenty-eight, Chapter 128, verses 5 and 6. The Lord bless you from Zion. May he, you see prosperity in Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children and peace be upon you. Children are a functional blessing. An actual functional blessing. Blessing. We can see how God is working in them in our midst. Children are implements in the battle of faith. They extend the battle line, they go where the generation before them could not go. And children in the room know this. You know that the the older generation already can't go there. We try and we look stupid when we do. And you've been shot out, and you're there, and we aren't. You extend the battle line. May children grow and be sent out as emissaries of the family and the household's mission together. It's clear that the parent child relationship is, is one in this passage of, of a, a holiness of. Faith, where the extension of the battle line that in fear of a a holy God is being extended one place to the next. This section of Psalm 128 takes the particular family, household place, blessing of children, and then extends it to the whole of the people and calls it peace. It is the blessing and peace of the people together to see the children's children. And watch how they extend the battle line. Children that join together in the efforts of the previous generation form a chain of prospering one generation to the next. Friends, there is a role that parents and other members of the community have to play in that. But children, there is a role that children have to play in that. Essential roles neither of which are effective. The Lord will build that house. Children that join together in that effort bind a chain of peace. And it's beautiful to behold. The point of this encouragement regarding children is the same as the first half of the psalm. It's the Lord that works in the midst of our daily labor. It's the Lord who is the worker. It's the Lord who is building the house. We don't need to labor. We don't need to parent. We don't need to build or watch with anxiety. Friends, that is how, that, that has been my the great, greatest trial in faith. And my guess is that it is yours too, to learn to go to sleep. To learn to rest in the Lord. God's people have no cause to fit or rage or worry or fear. It's the Lord who works. Do you agree with him in that? I would draw our attention to one scripture and then I would like to, make, to, to, to see this just rise up one step for encouragement for the church before we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. It says this. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In this, the Lord has done a work. All of the business of the church is worthless. But notice this about that work. It's finished. It's finished. We're not wondering if the Lord would build the foundation of our faith. He's built it. And friends, if we know that the Lord will build our house, how much more will the Lord build His house? If the Lord will keep watch over His people's city, how much more will the Lord keep watch over the extent of His kingdom reign? Is He not the one who blesses and keeps You and friends, if the Lord sees children as blessing, how much more will the Lord love and see his children as his heritage? Friends, that is all a gift. And it's a gift that's purchased for us by means of the resurrection. If the Lord had not been raised, our preaching would be in vain. But the Lord is risen, and the Lord works on that. Foundation. Heavenly Father, our only hope is that you would work. Our only hope is that you would build on the foundation of your gospel and that you would do it this morning. I know that in this room, in my heart, in the hearts of all of those gathered, there is correction that needs to take place. That we have not believed this. We have not agreed with you. In fact, we have arguments at the ready. I pray that the business would be done in prayer in confession to one another and to you, and that you would transform a people. Lord, I pray that that confession would we begin at simple faith. Right now there are those in this room that they believe that they themselves can make themselves happy apart from the way of the Lord. I pray that you would work in that heart to bring conviction of sin to situate them as created. Lay down idolatry and believe that you have made sufficient atonement for their sin. You are raised that they might be raised to newness of life. I pray that that miracle would happen today. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for what you would do. You've already done it, and it's been so beautiful. We trust all the more for your application of grace today. We pray this in your name, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.